the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin. Thank you for listening. I hope many of you were listening to the Andrea K. Show a few minutes ago, and I hope you're back now for more. If not, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, don't forget... ProAmericaReport.com is where you want to go to get standalone segments, all the interviews I'm doing, all the different things, the wink, what you need to know. And also over there, you can sign up for the Daily Wink, which is an email that goes into your email box at 5 a.m. Pacific Time. 8 a.m. East Coast time, and you get that in there, and it's going to have the wink that what you need to know. It's going to have a link to one of these segments from the radio show. It's also going to have a couple articles, a couple different things. It's going to get you what you need to know at the water cooler. You'll be in good shape. And uh, hey, listen, later on in the program, uh, I want to uh, talk a little bit more about uh, football. We'll talk a little more about football. If you're listening to the Andrew K. Show, I did talk some about that. I want to talk about football, the president weighing in on that, what he's really doing there has to do with politics as well as psychology. Uh, and uh, we will talk more about that. Also touch on China. China, there's more China news out there. Um, we need to visit about that. And uh, I've been on the road in St. Louis, and so it's been a bit of a hectic time. So uh, I'm glad to be back getting home uh, later uh, in the um, evening tonight, uh, and we'll be able to settle in. So uh, good to be with you. All right. What you need to know today, I woke up in the middle of the night, early morning this morning, and I thought about this, and I finally figured out, and I want to tell you this, this is so important because you'll be distracted by the Democrat National Committee picking their speakers. It looks like a retinue of left-wingers. You know, everybody everybody that's had uh, presidential fever, John Kerry, uh, Elizabeth Warren, uh, even John Kasich. <laughs> He's supposed to be a Republican, I, I suppose. Bernie Sanders. All these presidential fever types will be out there. It's a virtual convention. They'll be, uh, you know, in their own basement uh, like, Joe, like Joe Biden. Uh, but it, you, you'll be distracted by that. You'll be distracted by this and that and the other thing in the presidential. The VP pick. You'll be distracted by by that, all these other things. But here's what I want to tell you. What you need to know tonight. I woke up in the morning, the early morning, and I clarified this. And I want to clarify it for you. And that is this. There are two things happening across America, the control of which is almost exclusively Democrats and liberal. The two are control of the big cities and the protests slash riots that are happening there. And the second is, that's the first, the second is major K-12 through edge school systems. I mean, there are some school systems that are controlled by Republicans that are bigger places, but the ones you know about, New York City, Fairfax County, Virginia, Northern Virginia, uh, Los Angeles County, those ones you know about, generally the school, the big school districts, urban school districts, are controlled by the Democrats, so first, let's start with what's happening in our cities. Earlier today, the Seattle police chief uh, resigned. And you say, well, the Seattle police chief resigned. Why? Well, because Seattle, after they had the chop, the Chaz chop thing, it turns out it was a disaster. 
So there was a New York Times article. Even the New York Times had to cover the fact, and they covered it in a piece that posted late, uh, post, posted late last night or early this morning. I saw it early this morning. And the piece basically went in to describe saying who was damaged by the Chaz Chap, you know, the Chaz Chop, the, the occupied uh, zone. It turns out that the small businesses in Seattle were not particularly conservative. I mean, the owners. So one of the people they quoted at length was a gay man of Middle Eastern descent who moved to Seattle so that he could live his life the way he wanted. His coffee shop was a mess because of the Chaz Chop. And so the New- even the New York Times had to go through how you know, the Chaz Chop didn't really work. And now there's lawsuits against the city of Seattle. In other words, Seattle is a liberal city. It's not, there's not half conservative, half liberal. It's liberal dominated, as most of these cities are. And so the liberals that were there were found themselves abused by the lack of control, by the lawlessness. And so much so that even the New York Times article was describing this liberal owner of a coffee shop. So I think it was him. It might have been one of the other people they described who owned businesses there who were suitably liberal. And they were saying, you know, this didn't, this might have started out as Black Lives Matter, but it became Antifa very quick. It went from being African Americans and activists, the quote was something like this, to liberal white people. So here's my point. The cities are burning. The protesters, as Attorney General Barr so aptly put it, start out as protesters to shield themselves under the First Amendment right to peaceably assemble, and then they turn into rioters. And the people in control of our cities are predominantly, the big one, Seattle, Democrats, liberals. And so what happened in the last 24 hours, 36 hours? Seattle voted to cut the pay of police, cut the budget of police, including the police chief, and the police chief quit. And you say, well, the police chief quit is probably some 61-year-old former military guy with a potbelly white guy, and he needed to move on anyway. No, no, no. The chief quit, which the chief who quit, she... She, get that, woman, was the first African-American police chief in Seattle history. And she quit. Because why? Because you can't do that job. Earlier today, I talked to my friend Jim Gag- Jimmy Gagliano, who's a retired FBI agent. And he said, when you cut all these services, you're making it impossible for the job to be done. And once the job can't be done, law enforcement, people that are good people, they get away from it. You, the last thing you want to do is put officers out without the ability to do their job, and then they get killed or maimed or hurt. So that's what's happening in our cities. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot of Chicago, she's got shootings and, and she's got, I mean, she's got riot, looting all over Chicago. The D.C. mayor, liberal Democrats, got mass shootings over the weekend. They don't know what to do. They can't get control. But they know they have to blame somebody else. The mayor of Chicago blamed uh, gun control. We need more gun control. That doesn't explain why they're rioting and looting uh, on the main thoroughfares of Chicago. But here's my point. Think about the image in the last 83 days to the election. In P- what you need to know is people's minds are seeing this and they're saying, huh, that's a choice. That's one way we could lead the country. That group of people who are being embraced by uh, Joe Biden and his team. They are his team. The second group is teachers unions that run our biggest school systems. And they are desperately trying to utilize this moment for political gain. The Los Angeles teachers union said their demands, a list of demands to go to work include Medicare for all, Black Lives Matter, a few other things. And meanwhile, America and the American people are going, wait a second, you teachers unions, you have the biggest school districts, you have the most money, you have the most stuff, you have the most gear, you have the most uh, money, we spend money, we do, we do uh, bond issuances, you've got tons of money, 
and you're not even coming up with a plan? You're not even coming up with a way to go forward for us? And so hundreds of thousands, if not millions of kids are going to be told, we're not even going to try to make you safe and better educated by going in person. We're just going to send you home. And your parents or parent aren't going to have a job, able to do their job or stay with you. So they're going to do one of the two, probably a combination. And you're going to have this and that and the other thing. It's a disaster. And the American people are looking up and saying, wait a second. For 40 years, the teachers unions, led by Democrats, have said they can do the job. We just need a little more money for buildings. We just need a little more money for curriculum. We just need a little more money for free, for, uh, for control. We just need a little more, a little more, a little more. We need a little more direction, Common Core. We need a little more of this. And, and people gave it to them. And now the American people are looking up and they're saying, what? Is that as good as it gets? Is that as good as it gets for our communities, these school districts, and how they're failing? And are they bullying other people? The teachers unions are pressuring other schools to stay closed, private schools. The governor of California, Gavin Newsom, as you know, our listeners know, he said not only are the public schools going to go distance only, but so are the private. You can't open. Think about this. This is an incredible thing. This is an extraordinary thing. It's an extraordinary moment. But here's my point. I mean, I'm almost, I'm almost giddy about it. I don't want the suffering. I, don't, I want it to stop. I wish it would stop. But I don't think that the Democrats can do it. I don't think they can help themselves. I think they are so deranged in opposition to this president and this moment that in the 83 days coming forward, they're going to make clear that the governing philosophies of the teachers unions, dominated by Democrats, and the cities, dominated by Democrats, their philosophies are going to do a couple of things. Put people in danger, put, at least put people in harm's way. That's fair enough. Number two, not be effective. It's not an effective way to have a coffee shop in Seattle and have the 911 not respond. That's what the guy was saying. It's not an effective way to have a school system that cannot come up with plans. They don't even, they're not even willing to come up with plans. They just give up. And in Fairfax County, where I live now, and my kids are not in the public school, but, if, but I, I follow it clo close enough, when they had to go distance, they couldn't even figure it out. And according to teachers that are scuttlebutt on next door and other places, they can't figure it out now. They haven't figured it out now. So we're headed towards a, a, a lesson in failed leadership that you could have never exposed except for the desire to try to embarrass this president and the desire to try to impact the election. That's what you need to know. On two fronts, what's become clear is what the governing, not just philosophy, but the governing record of the liberal Democrats are. And that's the people that are surrounding Joe Biden. And since Joe Biden doesn't appear to be particularly strong right now, the, the people around him are the people running things. So Cory Booker is speaking on the last day of Democrat convention. That guy wants to export from the cities all the philosophy, including zoning, and force it on the suburbs. It's one of the things President Trump has addressed. For example, same thing with some of the, the, the uh, law enforcement uh, folks that are talking about law enforcement on the Democrat side. They're, they're echoing. They're saying, great job out there. Great job in, uh, in Seattle and Portland. We don't want the feds. Mayor Lightfoot, we don't want the feds in Chicago. But we can't get control of our place. As they burn a Tesla, a Tesla, um, a Tesla um, uh, um, dealership, and they they burn a Nordstrom's in Chicago, it's crazy.
It's a crazy way to be. But what you need to know is it's going to be a lesson, again, not in just governing philosophy, but in success and failure. And the failure is profound. The failure is going to echo in a way that people haven't seen. I I, I fear that the cities will empty out for a while, and that will not be good. But I hope that the teachers union will be put back into their place worrying about making teachers lives better and students lives better instead of being a political player in a broader sense. That would be great reform out of this period. All right. That's what you need to know. Don't forget proamericareport.com. Sign up for the daily wink. Go there and also get these standalone segments. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Be back in a moment. This is the Pro America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back, Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Thank you for uh, being with me. And uh, well, we got some we got some uh, uh, super guests coming up. I, I have a real treat. Uh, Juliana Pettis is an intern at our office, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles office. And I, I often talk about our work. You know, Phyllis Schlafly Eagles are a national organization that does so much good work for pro life, pro family, all these different causes, conservative causes. One thing we do well too is get good people drawn to us, and we're really proud of that. Juliana Pettis is a uh, well, almost a graduate. She's got one semester left at University of Missouri St. Louis and she's been interning with us nice writer very good writer a very good researcher really a, a nice impressive young woman gives you encouragement uh, for what the future is when you meet uh, young people like this so we'll talk with her I, I'm going to have a nice lengthy interview with her about her summer and what she found with Phyllis Schlafly uh, Eagles what she discovered as she did uh, Real Mrs. America check on some of the work that they did. And, uh, you know, just in a few days, it'll be Phyllis Schlafly's uh, birthday. Uh, August 15th is her birthday. Would have been 96, and we're preparing a little video that will go out. I just was shooting some of it here at the Phyllis Schlafly Center in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. Super stuff. It's just amazing what a life she had. So, all right, let me finish, though. I'm finish up a topic that I mentioned earlier. I just want to put a point on it, and that is college football. Two things to observe right now. Very important. The first one is... Let's play football. Let's figure it out. And here's the other trick about this is literally the college football industry is a billion dollar plus industry. They should be able to spend the time and money to do it safely, make it work and let the kids play sports, college football, other sports, figure it out, figure it out. Come on, man. This has Joe Biden would say. So that's one thing. They should just do it. People, young people deserve it. You, you, you manage the risks, assess the risks, take the steps you need to, do the risk management, and get it done. The second thing, though, equally important, is uh, how crazy is it that they haven't planned this out? You know, I mean, why not? You've got the time. You've got the money. You've got the, uh, the you know, it's not didn't sneak up on you and just get it figured out. That's one of the things that's frustrating about this is that, you know, that these, these big conferences and these big uh, university presidents had lots of time and they should figure it out and they should get it worked out and then they should, you know, sort out. And, and are there going to be t- challenges? Of course. I'm not against, as I've said, I did an interview yesterday and I talked about this. I'm not against playing a shorter schedule, maybe play, you know, th- two thirds as many games, maybe um Play only in your conference, play some round robin tournaments, you know, where you're playing a, a play in playoff system or something. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to adjust. I think it's important to adjust. That's what you do. That's what you do when you're serious and when you're trying to make things happen. But the idea that the, um, that the only thing you're doing, in my opinion, is watching the uh, the media try to hype the problems and then the Big Ten presidents are going to move and go and take some act. And there's a last comment I want to tell you. 
You think the world, do you think the world hasn't changed? I mean, man, the world's changed. The, the combination of social media and, uh, and the speed, uh, uh, and uh, let's, let me get work this backwards, the combination of the, of the social media and the access that every citizen has, whether you're a 22-year-old college football player or a 20-year-old uh, sophomore uh, playing in other sports, soccer, whatever, or you're a, a, a professional uh, politician, whatever it is, whether you're President Trump or you're one of the kids on the Ohio State football team, you have access and... The media is so widely discredited, they've done it to themselves, that you can contribute and you can shape the narrative. So yesterday morning, when the media reported the leaks that the Big Ten uh, presidents were going to vote on something and they'd start to move that direction on Sunday... Who swung into action? Well, President Trump did. That's one. That's true. And he did a bunch of interviews today on sports radio and sports uh, talk. But also the players. The players. You know... We the people may, if we can get control of the tech giants that are censoring us, this era of being able to communicate past the fake news could become really great. With this president, we have a chance because he fights through the big media, uh, fights through the fake news and the big tech. I'm not sure in the long run that big tech isn't planning to wait him out and wait us out, and it's a problem. But for now. We can make our voices heard. How extraordinary is that? How amazing is it to see that? It's just incredible. It's just an incredible thing to see, and um, it's wonderful to watch. All right, uh, that's what I want is I want to come around to that college football because I know the president brought it up, and I tell you this other thing. When you see the president lean into an issue like he did on college football so quickly, he knows something. He knows how things work. He knows how things uh, play, and he's not shy about it. That's another part of what's going on. So, all right, uh, we will take a break. When we come back, Juliana Pettis, this young uh, uh, conservative woman who's an intern at our office, is going to talk to us about what's going on on college campuses. And then when we come back, the um, after that, we'll talk about their Democrat convention named their... Um, they named their uh, speakers, and uh, it's out. And we'll talk about who's going to speak at uh, the at the convention. It's uh, going to be something to see. It's not exactly um, it's not exactly moderate. It looks pretty liberal. So uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll cover all that. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Uh, great to have you with us. Uh, t- tune back in for you're going to like this interview with this uh, intern. She's uh, she's impressive. So I'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Be back in a moment. This is the Pro America Report on the Answer San Diego. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be back with you. Our next guest, I've been thinking about having her on the program because I've been so impressed this summer. You know, our listeners know that I do the, um, I head up the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles and we have our, our main headquarters in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, where Phyllis Schlafly, the late Phyllis Schlafly, uh, worked out of and and uh, was born and raised. And she lived over in Alton, about 30 miles up the river, up the Mississippi River. And then uh, the last decade of, excuse me, last 25 years of her career, she was in St. Louis. And uh, one of the things Phyllis always did was, in the summers especially, get interns on. And, and this summer, Juliana Pettis is an intern for us in uh, the Eagle Forum Educational Legal Defense Fund offices in St. Louis, which is our Phyllis Schlafly Center. And Juliana Pettis is a, well, actually, I just mentioned to her, she's a senior. She's got one more semester left. But I, I don't know if there's ever been a more unconventional um, summer internship because we started out saying, yeah, we're going to have this summer internship. We'll do our annual collegians program in Washington. Uh, we've got a lot of things happening. And then, oh, well, bam, in comes the China virus. And so we've started out distance uh, interning uh, also. So first of all, welcome, Juliana, to the program. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Ed. 
So let me let me ask you first. Um, do you, you at school? You, what's your major? I know it, but tell our listeners what your major is. You're almost done with uh, University of Missouri St. Louis uh, w- with your degree. One more semester. What's it been like? How did you get interested in in uh, interning for the Philadelphia Eagles? Walk us through that. Well, my major is English, and then I'm getting a minor in history as well. Mm-hmm. And in becoming an intern with the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, it was actually recommended to me by someone I was working with, just doing some writing on the side. And in the meantime, I actually forgot about it because it wasn't summer yet, and I was told about it in the fall. And then I received an email from Jordan Henry, and it just went from there that I ended up deciding that I would apply, and it's been a great experience. I'm not sure I ever shared with you, but you know, only the finest uh, people in America are English majors uh, in college. I, m- I myself was an English major. Don't tell. I don't think Jordan was an English major, but uh, let's not worry about that. But uh, I do want to c- encourage you, you. You did a lot of writing this summer. One of the things we had, of course, our listeners know we had the Mrs. America series, $50 million spent to produce a series about Phyllis Schlafly. And uh, we were fact checking it all the time. You wrote a, on that subject, did a research on that, wrote some commentaries. We do a, a daily commentary, the Phyllis Schlafly uh, Eagles do that, and I record them. But we all work together, and you did some of that. So, do you? Did you? Well, do you enjoy writing? Have you found that it's uh, something that you want to do more of? What's the? It feels like younger people don't do much writing. So, is it? Is it something that you have done more of than your colleagues, and you enjoy doing? Um, I don't know if it would, I can't you know really know if it's something I've done more than my colleagues necessarily or not. But I can say that I personally have been journaling since I was seven years old. Yeah, I've always been writing. It was not my original plan for school to go and become an English major. I actually wanted to do nursing, but I just found that there's so much just falsities going around and, you know, in writing and in media that I just really felt compelled to change my major and do writing because I've just always been writing about something, whether it's, you know, creative or theological or historical or even political events going on. It's just always something that's been an interest for me. So I guess I would say probably on the, you know, the leisure end and also on the school, you know, I'm doing stuff for school and then now an internship that has consisted of a lot of writing. I've done quite a bit of it and it's, you know, it's been really good experience because the more you write and everything, you, the more you learn, you get to yeah. you know, delve into other topics and stuff. And I really feel like with this internship, especially working on the Mrs. America series, like writing articles about that, it's really enlightened me about politics for sure. And during this time, it's, it's been, again, very enlightening, but also comforting as a young person going through this crazy period. So I was thinking about this just as we're talking, and I, I, I think you're not supposed to ask, but I always I can't resist. Were you born in this century? You, you may be close to 20, uh, over 20. Were you, but were you born in 2000 or 1999? What year were you born in? In uh, 1998. Oh, you are. So you're in the, well, close enough though. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't remember necessarily many of the things that for lots of us, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm that we remember 9-11 and all that happened. You were just really young. Uh, but also Phyllis Schlafly, you probably wouldn't have known much about her. And in fact, when you watched Mrs. America, that was probably one of the introductions, right? I, I guess maybe with us, you probably, because you were interning, you saw more. So what's your impression of Phyllis Schlafly? How's that been? And tell us, I know one of your assignments, because I was involved in assigning it, was reading some of Phyllis's uh, work. So what, what's your impression of the late Phyllis Schlafly and her works? And uh, you talk about being a writer, if that's what you like. Uh, she certainly was one. But what's your impressions? 
I would say for me, um, I definitely did not know a lot about Phyllis Schlafly before this internship by any means. As I said before, the first time I heard the term Phyllis Schlafly, you know, her name and the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles was from a woman I was doing some extra writing with um, and then getting into this internship. So having no knowledge about her and coming into this internship, I've been really amazed just because, I mean, looking at her, watching her debates, reading some of her writings, and just getting to know her even through the Mrs. America series, knowing it was, you know, a lot of it was wrong, on, on inaccurate about her for sure. But she's just an amazing woman to me. Like the fact that she was conservative and she was such a fighter and she was so graceful in how she debated with people. She's really an inspiration. And I really wish, I mean, coming from a conservative background and a Catholic family at that too, since she was Catholic, I really wish I would have known more about her just because of how inspirational she is. I feel like if I would have known more about her since I'm a senior now going into college, it would have made some of my experiences a little bit different, you know, having, Mm -hmm. having had conversations with professors and students in class who definitely don't share the same beliefs to see how graceful she is, but just how she's a spitfire, to put it plainly. She really is in her own way. You know, she always has an answer for everything, just watching her debates, you know, and I think it would have been really great to know more about her going into school beforehand, but then also just her legacy, that what she's left behind. It's really, it's inspirational and comforting, I feel like, because there's just so much going on and, and being a college student and knowing other people who are conservative or just Republican, you know, all of that on campus you know, they don't really know much about her if I've mentioned anything to my friends and stuff about her. And it's like, the more I talk about her and the things she stood for, I find my peers, they, they're really interested and they really would like to know more about her as well. Because you're kind of alone on campus in many, you know, ways. And to see someone who was, you know, a housewife who, who fought for the right causes, you know, the Stop ERA movement and all of that, She's, she's a real inspiration. Uh, we're talking with Julianne Pettis, and I was uh, describing to you at the beginning of this interview, Julianne, uh, Juliana, excuse me, Juliana Pettis is our, one of our interns. We have two interns this summer, and um, uh, she's going to be a, uh, well, she is a senior at University of Missouri-St. Louis and has only one semester left. Uh, we're talking about that. So back to, camp, back to campus for a minute. You, you mentioned something. I mean, all of us are conditioned by the media right now to see uh, university life, especially University of Missouri. It's a public university. Um, you know, unless you unless you see coverage of like, you know, Hillsdale and you say, oh, look at that. Um, you're, you're conditioned to think, oh, my gosh, it's liberals everywhere. What's your experience as school been, university you know, life? And then more specifically, did you find uh, colleagues that were similar minded that had their faith background or had a faith background that was uh, allied to you and kind of going through that pro- going through uh, uh, college? Well, for me, my main experience has probably been running into the very, very small amount of Christians. I was actually at Southwestern Illinois Community College before I went to University of Missouri, St. Louis, and I did have a couple really good professors there. I also had some very liberal professors there. It's pretty much been mainly liberal professors at the University of Missouri, St. Louis, although there have been some that have, you know, been very good and actually very fair in a lot of their classes and others have not been. So, you know, it's always a mix on the campuses, especially public campuses. As for students, um, I have met some. I actually more have met like-minded students by starting the Students for Life of America group on the University of Missouri St. Louis's campus. I really did not know many uh, Christian or conservative students before that. 
But then that opportunity presented itself for me to start that group. And by starting that group, I've definitely met a lot more like-minded students. And I think that's kind of the key on public campuses is to have groups that promote, you know, conservative values and Christian values because they're, they're far and few and in between. And I think you have so many people that they're, they're scared to be open about their beliefs because they do know that the classrooms are so liberal and that professors usually do lean towards the left. As I said, I've met some that don't, but most do. And I think it's something where you need those types of groups in order to meet different people. Because a lot of times when I've brought up my beliefs, uh, being Catholic or being conservative with fellow students in the classroom, they really don't know where they stand. And they just feel like they believe whatever the professors tell them, or they don't want to seem intolerant by not necessarily agreeing with you, or they completely don't agree, depending on their point of view. But they really need somewhere where they can go and meet one another because people are just so conditioned to not say how they feel because they're afraid they're going to have flashback on the college campus. Uh, one last question, Juliana. Uh, you had a bunch of assignments to read Phyllis Schlafly. What's your favorite? You don't have to say book, but you could say favorite book or work of Phyllis Schlafly's from your reading uh, over this uh, internship in the last few months. Well, that's a tough one, Ed. Um, they definitely all have been very, very good, very informative, and just amazing to read. I would say, though, I think the one that I've, between the ones that I've been assigned, because I haven't read all of her books, right. say The Supremacist was probably my favorite. Hmm. Interesting. Good. All right. Well, I hate to say it. Maybe you should, you know, get, get, get working and then see, maybe you need to go to law school. I don't know. That's, I hate to, we don't need more lawyers, but uh, we need more good lawyers. So, well, listen, Juliana Pettis, thank you for your time. God bless you and your school going back and finishing. And we really appreciate you interning with us. And thanks for the time on the radio. I think a lot of our listeners would be inspired to hear a young woman like you and what you're talking about and going through. We appreciate it very much. Thank you, Ed. All right. We'll take another break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, you can go to ProAmericaReport.com and all these interviews like this one will be standalones over there so you can listen to Juliana Pettis over there. So we'll be, we'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. If there's a clause in the Bill of Rights that says the Constitution doesn't apply while there's illness going around, I must have missed that day in my history class. Yet as soon as COVID-19 came along, many Americans were willing to blindly surrender their freedom for the promise of safety. Others, like 77-year-old Carl Mankey, decided to take a different path. Carl is a barber in Owasso, a town of 15,000 people in central Michigan. Unfortunately for Carl, Michigan's Governor Whitmer stripped the people of her state of the right to do anything from garden to get a haircut. Carl chose to open his barbershop anyway. A judge in Michigan's Shiawashi County issued an order that Mankey's barbershop shall be locked and closed, and agents from the state attorney general's office showed up in Owasso to enforce the order. Mankey appealed that decision to the Michigan Supreme Court, which summarily overturned it. Justice David Viviano wrote that the order shutting Mankey's barbershop without a full briefing and argument was extraordinary and inexplicable. He wrote, courts decide legal questions according to the rule of law. Justice Viviano continued, one hopes that this great principle, essential to any free society, including ours, will not itself become yet another casualty of COVID-19. While Carl Mankey was making his case before Justice Viviano, 
the 347 residents of Altamaha, North Carolina, heard Ace Speedway roar back to life with the sound of stock car racing in defiance of a state order. The crowd that half-filled the 5,000-seat bleachers was far in excess of the 25-person limit imposed by Democrat Governor Roy Cooper. A sign outside the Speedway advertised, This event is held in peaceful protest of injustice and inequality everywhere. The Alamance County Sheriff refused to issue a citation. If and when the next crisis comes along, Americans need to think long and hard about just how much freedom we're willing to give up in return for promises of safety. It's up to us to preserve our rights to conduct business and to peaceably assemble. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In 2016, the conservative movement lost one of our strongest leaders, but Mrs. Schlafly's work and her voice continue through this radio program, our work in Washington, and the influence you have in your own community. Be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. We encourage you to bookmark phyllisschlafly.com and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Hey, Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you tonight. Hey, let's finish up with a rundown of the Democrat National Convention, not in Milwaukee, not in Milwaukee. And so <laughs> we uh, we now know that the, uh, that the the presidential candidate for the Democrats, he has said he will not go to Milwaukee in person. It's all virtual. Uh, but earlier today, they announced the, uh, the participants uh, and the speakers. So on next Monday, I guess it's already next Monday. Is that right? Or maybe two weeks from now. I think it's two weeks. Well, no, it's next Monday, I think. Um, the um, uh, the lineup, and it will be a primetime lineup. I'm sure that they will uh, cover it, of course. Um, the uh, they will the um, they will cover it uh, on all the TV stations. So it's eight to ten p.m. East Coast time each day. So here's who's going to speak on Monday. Kicking off Bernie Sanders. So Bernie Sanders is going to be on Monday. He's going to have he's going to share the stage. We're told with Governor John Kasich, Governor Kasich also on Monday. Kasich and Sanders. Now Sanders, um, I think, um, is he an atheist? I'm not sure he's an atheist. He's a communist, or he said he's a communist. Uh, maybe he's an atheist. John Kasich is marching around talking about his faith right now. Uh, we'll see how those two match up. One is a socialist. One says he is a market capitalist. John Kasich supposedly. So we'll see. And then on the Monday. Here's an interesting one. A couple of senators. Senator Doug Jones of Alabama is going to be there. I would have thought if you want to survive in Alabama, you might not want to be anywhere near the Democratic Convention, even virtually. Um, I guess he will try to distance himself from uh, the party somehow and see if it helps him in Alabama. He's running his reelection is against um, Senator Tuber, uh, excuse me, Tommy Tuberville, the old football coach for Auburn. And most accounts say that it's, um, you know, Tuberville's to lose. So we'll see. There is a lot. Uh, he's a first-time candidate. There's always some chance. Uh, now, here's another one. Monday. This is Monday. Next Monday. Uh, this is the uh, Democrat National Convention virtual. So I guess each of these people will be speaking in different places. But it's also Monday is Governor's Days. And so we got Governor Andrew Cuomo, who has had such a tough time with uh, the uh, the China virus in his state, getting a lot of negative attention right now on his decisions that had to do with nursing homes. And and then Governor Gretchen Whitmer, Whitmer, excuse me, of Michigan. Now, I, you know, they say that the the, the schedule, you know, tends to be later in the week, closer to the the presidential nominee is better prime time. But I kind of think Governor Gretchen Whitmer on the first day, she's probably wise to be there in terms of her attention. 
I think she'll get a chance to talk about Michigan and uh, and uh, talk about what she's done there. I think she'll get a lot of attention that first day. I, I don't think by uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, anybody, a, a lot less people will watch. I think you're going to get a bunch of people that watch the first night thinking, wow, what is this? Uh, also, Representative Jim Clyburn of South Carolina on Monday. So he has been one of the earliest Trump support, uh, Obama, uh, Biden supporters and had a big role in South Carolina holding all right. Uh, Tuesday, this is the crazy one. Former acting U.S. Attorney General, uh, U.S. Attorney General Sally Yates, part of the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. Now, she blamed Comey uh, for his, he was the one that went rogue, she says. So there she is on Tuesday. Chuck Schumer on Tuesday, John Kerry on Tuesday. Uh, and uh, oh, by the way, I should say on Monday, the whole program finishes with Michelle Obama. I missed that. Sorry. That's the big star. That'll be the primetime star. On Tuesday, the primetime star is uh, Bill Clinton and former uh, second lady, Dr. Jill Biden, Dr. Jill Biden. Also, AOC does get a role on Tuesday. Kind of lost in there with some of the big hitters. Wednesday, Pelosi, Hillary Clinton, Elizabeth Warren. Looks like this is all women's night. Uh, well, not totally. Uh, and Barack Obama finishing off. One that I'm interested in is Governor, uh, former Congresswoman uh, Gabrielle Giffords will speak on Wednesday. I haven't seen her speak in public. Her story is pretty darn inspirational to recover from that shooting. I mean, what, you know, just on a human level, it'll be interesting to see uh, her speak. And, and I, I, I suspect it will be powerful to watch. Uh, I can't imagine it wouldn't be. So, And then you finish with Thursday, Cory Booker, Senator Booker, Governor Gavin Newsom. That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, and uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, Sammy Baldwin, Sammy uh, Senator Tammy, excuse me, Sammy Senator Tammy Baldwin, Senator Tammy Duckworth, Senator Chris Coons, Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. We haven't heard if this is a fake out, um, if she's actually going to be the VP or not. But it, you know, it, it could be a fake out. And then Joe Biden. So that's a that's a week that is um, you know that's that's pretty liberal across the board. Um, and you starting out as the, as they release this uh, this schedule. Bernie Sanders was first. AOC's on day two. You've got um, some of the you know Elizabeth Warren on day three. And then on Thursday night, you've got, uh, in fact, um, uh, Mayor Bottoms, Mayor Keisha Bottoms will be speaking uh, on uh, on the last night, too, which is an interesting choice. Um, again, the the, uh, the Joe Biden's uh, campaign, she at, at, she's the Atlanta mayor, Keisha Bottoms, Keisha Lance Bottoms. She was very early for uh, for uh, Joe Biden. She stuck with him early, African-American uh, young uh, governor, uh, excuse me, mayor. So that that's interesting. She got sort of prime time on the Thursday, uh, although it's mixed in with a bunch of others. So there it is. I, I got to say, um, it's loaded with uh, superstars in the Democratic Party, but a lot of liberals in there, a lot of really liberal folks. I'm not sure how that'll sell nationally, but I, I don't know. What do you think? I, I don't think you're going to see lots of normal Americans watch. I think they'll watch for the big speeches. I think they'll come in for the big speeches, you know, and, and, and be interested in that. But I don't know if they'll watch much of the... Um, of the rest of the program. I, I just don't know if it's going to be, it's not going to be very compelling. You're going to go from place to place. Here's Andrew Cuomo sitting at his desk in New York. Then you go across America to such and such Gavin Newsom at his desk in California. They'll probably try to outdo each other with clever places to uh, be seated and positioned. That may be something we'll see. Uh, but here's the one that's, uh, that, that there's been a leak that's been sort of ongoing about the platform of the Democratic Party. And one of the things that was reported a couple nights ago was 
was that the, the word transgender appears more times than equality or something like that. We'll see. Uh, by next week, we'll have that platform. And I suspect the platform will have to have appeased the left of the party, right? You're going to have to play nice with the party and make sure that uh, the party can, uh, the, the left wing of the party can stomach it and yet try not to go too far left if you're trying to win. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch that tug of war. That will be one, uh, one for the ages, I suspect, uh, as uh, the uh, Biden campaign has to balance the interests of um, the interests of the uh, left, the AOCs and others. And then what happens when you get an AOC or a Biden who talks about something or uh, 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 one of the Senate candidates talks about um, uh, the policies that are against where Biden wants to be? I guess they'll just have to vet their speeches ahead of time. That's one of the things you do and try to get them to not do something outside of the scope uh, of what they're told to do. But it'll be fun to a challenge, as always, to manage all that. All right. Uh, Thank you for listening. As always, thank you to our fearless technical director, Noah, for putting everything together and Joanna for booking the great guests all the time. Don't forget, go to ProAmericaReport.com and sign up there for the uh, Daily Wink and also uh, The Answer San Diego. We'll be back tomorrow night. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then.